Hello and welcome to the review show on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. And this month we have some exceptional reads for you. Now, March has actually strayed into April, so I've included a few April titles. So it's quite a long show, but I hope it's worth it. I hope you think that. Unfortunately, I have to start on a sombre note. Poignantly, I received the paperback copy of Christopher Fowler's Bryant and May's Peculiar London, just the day before he sadly died succumbing to long-term illness. He was only 69. Fowler leaves an unfillable hole in British crime fiction. No one wrote like him. He brought joy to his legion of followers, who reveled in Bryant and May's adventures. Rest in peace, Christopher Fowler. So a few words for the book then. Bryant and May's Peculiar London is an unusual guide to the capital city. Fowler delights in his knowledge of and love for London. It's eccentric, eclectic and weirdly wonderful interweaving tales of Bryant and May's exploits in a sojourn across London's familiar landscapes, but seen from an original and quirky perception. Witty, clever, and as Fowler says, not for the common tourist, but for the aficionados of the stranger, darker underbelly of the beast that is London. A blend of myth, legend, fable, fact, titbit, cultural reference and intriguing plotting, full of sharp observations on the contrary nature of the sprawling city, oozing its unique identity from every hidden corner. From riots to poetry, with a healthy dose of pubs and the odd coffee shop along the way. The spirit of Bryant and May will live on as Christopher Fowler's legacy, and we thank him for that. Published in paperback by Penguin. Viper Press seem to be carving themselves a niche in publishing with very good high-concept crime fiction that chimes with readers. I have to think Kate Samant's Freeze out now in hardback, will only add to Viper's profile. Most of the action in Freeze takes place a world away from London. The novel opens with a violent assault on a young girl. It's a betrayal, a loss of innocence, and over time the trauma will out, and so it begins. Twenty years later, Frozen Out, the toughest reality show on television, is about to become a huge sensation. It'll be based in the Arctic. Eight contestants will be pushed to their mental and physical limits, the winner will take home £100,000 in cash. It's the brainchild of Tori Matsuka. For her, it's her big break. Among the crew is Dee, looking to rebuild her career after her last disastrous job. No sooner has the small ship set sail from Iceland for the secluded secret show location than mishaps and disaster strike. Cut off, with the weather closing in, a contestant dies. Dee is the first to realise it's murder. So we have a closed circle mystery with a zeitgeisty game show setting. Freezing locations and game shows are showing up more in crime fiction. So it's not entirely original, but this is well realised and very entertaining. Published by Viper Books in hardback. Similarly zeitgeisty is the new thriller from L.C. North, the pen name of Lauren North. This time dealing with celebrity and also social media. Former model and celeb Melanie Lang claims on social media that she has been kidnapped and imprisoned by her father. Her powerful wealthy father, Sir Peter Lang, responds by stating that Melanie is unwell and undergoing treatment at a specialist private clinic in an undisclosed location. So who's telling the truth? Is Melanie being kept from her children and the wider world? Through a series of interviews, diary entries, transcripts featuring father and daughter, but also the friends, family and colleagues, the story unfolds. It feels like Britney Spears and Latifa al Maktoum's stories, their real traumas, 
feed into this story, dealing as it does with mental health, control, and being in the public eye. The novel rests on you buying into the slow release of information in a slightly artificial construct. However, if you go with the characters and their stories, it's totally entertaining. Melanie has one view of what's happening, her father, of course, the opposite. There's a lot of vested interest and emotional baggage to unpack, and North nuances the story very well. Where the truth lies is well hidden, and there are a few unexpected twists. The psychological portrait of daughter and father are credible and intriguing. Big questions of identity and control are lightly touched on, keeping the narrative moving along nicely. It does make us question what we know as opposed to what we think we know of someone living their life in the public eye. Published by Bantam in Hardback. When We Fall by Aoife Clifford is an Australian thriller from Ultimo Press. It's set in the coastal town of Merritt. Alex Tillerson is taking her mother for a beach walk when they come across a gruesome finding, a severed leg with an ankle tattoo of a black feather. The local police, Senior Sergeant Kelly, is happy to sign it off as a shark attack and close the case with no fuss or bother. Alex is not so sure. She discovers that Maxie McFarlane's death bears a striking resemblance to the unresolved case of Bella Craig's some years ago. While dealing with her mother's dementia, Alex tries to unpick the village secrets, only to find that her mother's past may hold the key to what is happening in Merritt. It's not only herself in danger, as she pursues answers others would rather remain buried. This is a dark novel that deals with racism, misogyny, conspiracy and climate concerns. Strong characters and a compelling mystery make for a cracking read. Ultimo Press, hardback. Now you know what you're getting when you read Harlan Coburn. I Will Find You is the latest intriguing mystery from the best-selling thriller Heavyweight. It seems that Harlan Coburn's work is all over TV and film these days, and I can see this one joining the canon very shortly. It's certainly filmic, and on trend. Personally, I prefer the French, Spanish and even Polish versions of Harlan Coburn's work to the English-language adaptations, but I'm digressing a little bit there. The essence of a Harlan Coburn thriller is the seemingly impossible mystery, the events that make no sense until the full story unfolds. Perfect lives are torn apart by some incursion of the past. Now, although this is not his very best, this is a really gripping read, a marked improvement on the match, because the characters are easier to engage with. David is five years into a life term for brutally murdering his own infant son, Matthew. He protests his innocence, but can't remember the night, and can't account for the damning evidence, both DNA and the neighbour who swears he buried the murder weapon in the garden. Then David is visited in Briggs Penitentiary by his sister-in-law, Rachel. She has a photograph showing an eight-year-old child on holiday with his family. They both think it's Matthew. But this was only just taken. How can that be? Neither David nor Rachel have any credibility as witnesses, and photos can be faked very easily, or it could be a simple case of mistaken identity. David decides the only way to prove his innocence is to escape, find the boy, and expose the truth. So we have a book in two halves, the novel of the escape and the hunt for Matthew, both of which are very well executed. Once out, the FBI are on David's tail, and they're not the only ones. A hugely enjoyable, fast and exhilarating read. Published in hardback by Century. Mother's Day by Abigail Burdis is a twisted and wickedly funny psychological thriller. 
It's the first of two impressive debuts by actors turned novelist in this show. It opens with a woman who's just given birth in perilous circumstances. She's in hiding, praying that the baby won't cry and give them away. Then we meet Anna, already uncertain about her relationship, and then she discovers she's pregnant. Her life is chaotic. She was abandoned as a child herself. She's confused, and to boot, stuck in a dead-end job. Almost the moment she finds out she's having a baby, she meets her own birth mother, Marlene. Marlene is now very rich. She has another daughter, but wants to welcome Anna and her coming baby back into her life. Still conflicted and unsure what she wants to do, Anna finds Marlene making more and more decisions for her, and it won't end well. The dark humour borders on horror at times, but it's all delivered with real gusto. The novel deals with the fears, joys and trauma of being a mother, the dark thoughts that can invade the mind at the most momentous times of your life. As dysfunctional families go, this is close to the pinnacle. Wincingly delicious, and while it's unsettling, it's light enough not to actually leave scars. Wildfire, hardback. A complete change of pace now for a Russian set spy adventure. White Fox is the third in the Black Sun trilogy from Owen Matthews, a well-written and engaging story set in 1963 in Russia, sparked by JFK's assassination in Dallas. It opens in a Siberian penal colony, where Colonel Alexander Vasin is serving time as camp commander. Meanwhile, in Leningrad, a KGB officer refuses an order that would have huge international ramifications. He's forced to flee. In Dallas, JFK is shot dead. The gulags have been emptied of Stalin's political prisoners by Khrushchev, but the Vori and violent criminals remain. Colonel Vasin is dealing with the rebellion of Chechen inmates when a new prisoner arrives from Moscow, and Vasin has no idea just how toxic Berezovsky's presence will prove. How these elements of the story link to the Kennedy assassination is both intriguing and fresh. A pacey page-turner about a desperate race for survival against the odds. An intelligent plot with plenty of action and believable characters. Published by Bantam in hardback. If there's a book of the month for me, it's this one. So Shall You Reap by Donna Leon. Remarkable, because it's the 33rd in the Guido Brunetti mystery series. And who knows, it may even be the best. Long-running series like this are very much, if not more, about the central character as they are about the mystery or the murder. It's not just Brunetti, the likeable, compassionate, dedicated and distinctly individual cop from a humble background. It's also his wife Paola, the family, friends and police colleagues at the Questura that are a joy to revisit. Then there's Venice itself. The pace of life, the canals, the culture and landscape, also a character in the novel. As for the mystery, it's relevant and intriguing. We are gently lured into the story of an undocumented Sri Lankan refugee whose body is found in a canal. The man was the caretaker of a crumbling historic palazzo rumoured to be up for sale. The victim is a Buddhist, and in his pocket is a human fingerbone. Themes of racism and immigration mingle with the years of lead and past terrorism, kidnapping and even sexuality, all at the heart of this mystery. Always more intriguing than Michael Dibden, or Madeleine Nab for that matter, Leon bears comparison to the best contemporary Italian writers, and this, like her other novels, feels truly authentic. Consummate, mellifluous writing that seduces and beguiles. It's a pleasure to luxuriate in the slow-burn mystery and some of my favourite characters.
Hutchinson Heinemann, Hardback. The Hill House Murders by Yukito Ayatsuji, translated by Ho Ling Wong, is new in paperback from Pushkin Vertigo. They've published some brilliant Japanese crime fiction recently, including Ayatsuji's The Decagon House Murders, to which this is a sequel. Ayatsuji was a founder member of the Kyoto University Mystery Club and a great admirer of American and British crime fiction. After absorbing some of the traits of the Golden Age mystery, he has crafted his own fiction with a very distinct Japanese flavour. His great creation is Detective Shimada Kiyoshi, a brilliant Sherlockian capable of solving the most intricate and complex mysteries. The Millhouse Murders is another ingenious puzzle. The writer dares the reader to solve it before the magnificent Kiyoshi can. John Dixon Carr will be proud to be coming up with as clever a locked room mystery as this. The gothic mystery opens on a stormy night in a bleak secluded mansion where a group of friends meet annually. The millhouse belongs to Kishi. Once again we have a mystery sparked by the discovery of a human finger. This time it leads to the even more gruesome discovery of a dismembered body in a furnace. A painting also goes missing. Another man disappears in almost impossible circumstances and more baffling events follow. And yet everyone is convinced by a neat explanation that glosses over the tragedy. One year on, Kishi is planning the reunion again. This time, Kiyoshi will be there. Exceptional fun and superbly plotted. Paperback from Pushkin Vertigo. Until Proven Innocent by Nicola Williams brings us back to London, Peckham in fact. Sergeant Jack Lambert is putting the frighteners on a young man threatening to fit him up if he doesn't come up with something Lambert can use to make other arrests. God forbid he should do some actual police work himself. A short while after, Lambert braces a woman who knows her errant son is vulnerable, and Lambert will hurt him if she doesn't pay him to turn a blind eye. Shortly afterwards, the 15-year-old son of a local black preacher is murdered brutally and clumsily. The obvious suspect is racist, corrupt cop Jack Lambert. Even his boss, a former scally turn cop, thinks he's guilty. Lee Mitchell, a young barrister from a working-class Caribbean family, is coerced into defending Lambert. As Black Lives Matter echoes on the streets, can Lee defend a man when there doesn't seem to be any hope he's innocent? This is a gripping read, and a reflection on police attitudes and working-class life in multiracial London. It feels grounded and authentic, and as a former barrister and Crown Court judge, Williams nails the legal thriller element. Entertaining and relevant. If I have a beef with British crime fiction, it's that they let the police off too lightly. More critical crime fiction like this won't go amiss. Hamish Hamilton, paperback. Lady Macbethard by Isabel Schuller. Not so much crime as historical fiction, but anyone who's read Macbeth will know it's a story steeped in crime. This novel comes from Schuller's dislike of the character of Lady Macbeth in Shakespeare's play. Here, she gives her her own voice. Originally a screenplay, this adaptation to a novel is remarkably assured for a debut. It's lively, intelligent and vividly realised. A credible portrait of a young woman fated to become Shakespeare's malignant Lady Macbeth. An origin story, if you like. It's a mix of history, legend and imagination. A story of family and power that encompasses royal rivalry, love hate, lust and revenge. The machinations of the Scottish court, the clash of the old and new religion, and the role of a woman trying to affect her destiny in a world designed to keep her in her place is moving and exciting. 
the drama is convincing. The attention to detail, real and imagined, is impressive. It's a competent piece of world-building. The daughter of an ousted king, trying to get back lost favour and lands, fights for her destiny, as her rise to the crown she believes she is meant for is thwarted. Gruach, Lady Macbeth as will be, will find another way to achieve the crown the gods have marked her for. This is a sketchy period of history, and that allows Schuller license to create a readable and thought-provoking novel with a strong female lead. Published by Bloomsbury and Hardback. Louise Swanson is the pen name of Louise Beach, or vice versa, I'm not sure which. As the latter, she wrote a handful of novels for Arenda. This hardback from Hodder represents a shift in oeuvre. Swanson's end of story is a dystopian near-future thriller about the value of art and culture, empathy and reason, in a world closing in on itself. There are some chilling 1984 moments here. It's 2035, and most fiction has been banned. Even reading fairy tales to children is a criminal offence. Fern Dostoy, now Dalrymple, was a writer in the old world. Her urge to return to her previous career is monitored Big Brother style. She has a new job outside the arts, but secretly can't resist writing, even though Discovery would land her in trouble with the law. Fern reads stories on a clandestine telephone line for young children. A boy called Hunter claims to be alone, and Fern is moved by his plight. She wants to help him through the grief, but is he all that he seems? The story is propulsive, though the world-building is a little sketchy. The message is clear. Arts help us to understand our world. We need to value them. We shape our stories. They in turn shape us. There's a clever twist to round off an interesting read. Hodder and Stoughton. Hardback. Eleven Liars by Robert Gold is the second Ben Harper novel following the very successful Twelve Secrets. Hadley is a Putney-esque part of London. Journalist Ben Harper is taking a shortcut through the churchyard when he sees a fire taking hold in the derelict community centre of St. Martin's. There's a person inside. After a struggle, Ben manages to rescue them, but outside they run off. He thinks the person was looking for something, but why would someone take the risk in the middle of a burning building? Ben himself has a troubled past. His brother was murdered and his mother committed suicide. And that story will play into this one. The skeletal remains of a woman in her thirties is discovered in the burned-out foundations. When the woman is identified, it takes Ben on a journey to question everything he thinks he knows about his own past and family. Long-buried secrets are about to surface, but of course not everyone wants that. What does the priest of St. Martin's, Adrian Withers, know? That's as good a place as any to start. And once again Ben has PC Danny Cash to help him. This time she's with CID. Pacey and intriguing, this is a suitably perplexing mystery with a dark atmosphere and a satisfying denouement. Published in Hardback by Sphere. The Only Survivors by Megan Miranda is out in Hardback from Quercus on April the 11th. Miranda is a New York Times bestseller for three of her novels, and The Last House was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. This is an atmospheric close-circle mystery. Nine teenagers survive a tri... Nine teenagers survive a tragic accident during a storm in which two school buses plunge into a ravine. Of the nine, one commits suicide after a year. Then, coming up to the 10th anniversary and the latest survivor's reunion, another one dies. The remaining seven are at a secluded house. They're not friends exactly, but they are bound together by survivor guilt. Cassidy, Cass Bent, 
soon realises the group are in danger. For me, this novel slips a little too much into the slow burn mid-course, but on the whole it's intriguing and twisty, and will appeal to fans of Agatha Christie-style mysteries with modern overtones. Published by Quercus in Hardback I Know Who You Were by Nick Curran is available in Hardback from Constable. I read the blurb for this novel and I wondered how it was going to stand out. A happy, ordinary couple, Alex and Morven Muir, and their daughter Poppy, appeared to have an idyllic family life in Shoreditch. Then Morven, supposedly at a works event, simply disappears. As more about Morven emerges, Alex realises he's been lied to for the past 16 years. Very little he thinks he knows about the woman he loves is true. To find his wife, and for peace of mind, Alex has to find the answers to Morven's dark past, to save his family and the present. And honestly, that didn't strike me as a wholly original concept. But this is an absolutely perfect example of it's in the way you tell the story that matters. And Curran makes it utterly gripping. A Cobanesque mystery keeps you turning the pages fiercely to find out what's happening. Good characters and a strong mystery are loaded with a richly dark atmosphere. Available from Constable in Hardback. A Death in Denmark by Amulia Malardi is an intriguing first novel in a new series featuring Gabriel Priest. A PI working for Copenhagen law firms. He loves his blues, he loves his jazz, and quoting Kierkegaard. He's an ex-cop, fired for sharing info on the police chief with a journalist. Gabriel's ex, Layla, asks him to investigate the murder of a right-wing politician, Sane Melgard. Most people believe Iraqi refugee Youssef Ahmed committed the brutal crime. Ahmed's son was denied a visa to stay in Denmark, and when he went back to Baghdad, he was tortured and murdered. So it's an apparent open and shut case. But was Ahmed set up? Priest mixes in political circles with Russian gangsters and the immigrant community in this novel. Melgard was researching World War II and Nazism when she was killed. Is there a clue in that? Racism, nationalism, the refugee crisis, misogyny, identity are all in focus in this novel. The character Gabriel manages to bring humour to a dark, hard-boiled mystery of politically motivated divisions in society. Clever, well-researched and relevant. Melardi has already written eight novels, and certainly more Gabriel Priest would be very welcome. Published by William Morrow in paperback. A true crime, yeah, a true crime book next. Great and Horrible News by Blessing Adams. A popular history from a former police officer turned academic. Adams has taken some individual stories of murder to illustrate the history of 16th and 17th century crime and punishment from the weird and bizarre to the cases that are more indicative of crime in general. The opening explores the story of a soldier incarcerated in York Castle Jail on a minor charge who effectively commits Harry Kiri in 1689. In the time it takes the man to die, he becomes a public spectacle. On a less gruesome note, we get the history of pamphlets, the Bow Street Runners, cases that reveal social attitudes, the foundations of evidentially based inquiries, Following the execution of Charles I in 1649, some failed attempts to assassinate Oliver Cromwell. It's a light, entertaining collection of cases in the popular rather than academic tradition. If you want to know more about murder and mayhem in early modern Britain, this is for you. Published by William Collins in paperback. And as is the way with this show, I want to leave you with a couple of novels that aren't quite crime, but actually fit very well, I think, for crime readers. The Angel of Santa Sophia by Giuseppe M. Argeni. 
translated from Catalan by Tiago Miller, and published in paperback by Fum de Stampa. I admit to having a soft spot for this press, for bringing us, and classical Catalan and Spanish literature we wouldn't see otherwise. The Angel of Santa Sofia is a Dante-esque nightmare, a fabulous tale, a smorgasbord of ancient myth, religion, superstition and gothic fantasy. An enigmatic traveller arrives in Turin under a blood-red sky for a conference of demonology at the university. A parallel world of demons and strange happenings is unleashed. This literary novella is genuinely mesmerising. The prose is fluid and pungent and laden with dark meaning. There is a story thread, but it's revealing a little too much to share. What I can say is this is an experience that satisfies the head and the heart. Be seduced, but keep your wits about you. Published in paperback by Fum de Stampa. And finally, another novella. May the Tigress Grieve for You. Emilienne Melfato. Translated from the French by Lorna Scott Fox. Winner of the Prix Goncourt du Premier Roman 2021. Published by Le Fugitif in paperback. This is the story of an unmarried woman living in Baghdad who discovers she's pregnant. The baby is a death sentence. Her brother, now in charge of the family since her father died, will kill her for it. Told in her own voice and that of other family members, we live through her last day, knowing the inevitable tragic ending. This is a prose poem of extraordinary power, conveyed in simple, devastating prose. It's about war and loss, conformity and obligation, and most importantly about misogyny, femicide, power, vulnerability, and the injustice of it all. A poignant and thought-provoking novella that will take you an hour to read, but the iniquity at its heart will stay with you for a very, very long time. Published in paperback by Le Fugitif. I realised that was quite a long list at the end of the day. As I said, it represents uh, almost two months reading. Uh, thank you very much for sticking with it. I hope you found something that will appeal to you in that little lot. Hopefully more than one thing. I'll be back with another review in a month, and of course in the meantime I'll be doing interviews. But for now, bye and thank you very much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>